Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Tonight, we're going to do a study from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in a study that I've entitled, Obedience in the Face of Failure. One of the things I love to do in Scripture is do something called a character study. That's where I take a particular character, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, and just look at every single place where that character shows up or they are named by name. It's fascinating things that I've found. And I remember about 15 years ago doing a study on Peter, Simon Peter. Do a little character study on him. And there was quite a few scriptures. And so as, as I wove this thing through, I began to take a look at the character of Peter And one of the first places you see the scripture record anything Peter says is right here in Luke chapter 5. And what he says is really revealing to him uh, or to us regarding him. And so what I want to do tonight is to take these verses, verses 1 to 11, and I'm going to break it into three parts. And um, not two parts, rather, verses 1 through 7 is called the challenge of obedience and verses 8 through 11 the calling to obedience and as we look at this here we're going to read through it and then we're going to see what the Lord has for each of us in a group that's this size and those of you that are watching live online and listening on Grace FM you know God knows what has been happening in your life but he also knows what's ahead and so It's fascinating to to watch how the Holy Spirit uses the same text to do so many different things. And so follow along with me. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 11, and then uh, we'll launch into this. I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 1, chapter 5 of Luke. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I love this section because I guess it reminds me of myself. When I read this, I see Peter's reaction. I see him following through after such a night of toil and then the Lord blessing and then him being humbled. So I love this passage. Take a look at verses 1 to 3. You see Jesus using a floating pulpit. And he did this often, actually, as you read through the Gospels. There are several times that you see Jesus getting into a boat and preaching to the multitudes. And it says here, the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That's a fascinating statement. Having people so hungry for the word of God that they just want to get as close as they can to Jesus. Pushing everything else out of the way and saying we've just got to hear him. It says the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That's something that happens when God begins to captivate your heart. You want to hear more of the Word of God. You want, to, you want to read. You want to find out about Jesus. I remember the first time when I became a believer at age 18, I picked up the... The only Bible I had was a family Bible. You know those big old boat anchor Bibles, you know? And, and, and I, you know, cracked it open. I says, okay, I've got to read everything in red because it's red for a reason, I guess. And so, so I'm reading through, and there's the words of Jesus, you know. And as I'm reading, I'm just going, why haven't I ever heard this before? What's going on with this? And my heart was stirred, and I just couldn't get enough. And then I happened to glance back at the Old Testament, and here was the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. Now, I really wasn't a reader in high school. And so I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get through this? You know, I don't even, I don't even like uh, Charles Dickens. You know, I, don't, I, I can't, 66 chapters. You've got to be kidding me. I'll, I'll save that for later. Oh, here's a great book, Jude, one chapter. I want to read that book. But it's a fascinating thing when God stirs your heart because you're hungry for the Word of God. And that's what was happening right here. This was the Word of God incarnate sharing the Word of God. What must that have been like? The dynamic of it, the intensity of it, the power of it. You know, a person has to be born again to really love the Word of God. People don't understand, why would you go to Bible study in the middle part of the week? What are you, some religious fanatic? But it's hard to explain, it's hard to communicate with them the life that comes by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God. The people are pressing about him to hear the word of God. It says here in verse 2, the fishermen had gone from the boats and were washing their nets. 
I want you to highlight that word washing because in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talking about the calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it's fascinating that you'll find three things going on with the nets. Matthew and Mark talk about casting nets. They talk about mending nets. And here, washing nets. And those three things we're going to talk about toward the end of the study because they really show the work of God in our own life. But more on that later. So here is Jesus washing the multitude with the word of God while Peter is washing his nets. And of course, he's getting washed spiritually at the same time. Verse 3 It says, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, I've been over there at the Sea of Galilee, and it's like a lake. Of course, it's called the Lake Gennesaret. And Jesus used everything that was around him. He didn't need a sure microphone. He used the water as amplification. And so Peter is there washing his net and as Jesus is talking he motions to Peter and asks if he can use the boat and so he steps into the boat we're not talking about a dinghy here we're talking about a larger boat fishing vessel not a big vessel with the big you know um, rods that come up but it's it's big enough and so Peter has to push him off the shore so he has to put down his nets and he has to push him out a little. And so Jesus is further back, and the crowds can come right to the water's edge, and Jesus is sharing, and the water is carrying the amplified message to the people. It says he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. This is a typical rabbinical position in teaching. The people would stand and the the rabbi would come in and sit down and he would teach from sitting. Now you guys are sitting, I'm standing. It should be the other way around. You know, if I don't have a chair, then I'm standing. So, So this is Jesus sitting in the boat, telling the multitudes the word of God. People are hanging on every word. And so is Simon Peter, washing his net. And then in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Three things I want to point out about this section. Jesus wanted to bless Simon. He wasn't trying to belittle Simon. He wasn't trying to confuse Simon. He wanted to bless Simon. And so he simply gave a command to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now here is this carpenter from Nazareth telling a seasoned fisherman how to fish. the crowd is right there. Don't forget the crowd, because they're all right there, and they're all from the villages around, and they knew what fishing was about. And so they heard Jesus say, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
This caught Peter off guard because fishing was done in shallow waters at night. They would take their scene, the fishing net, and they would go into shallower waters at night, and they would do night fishing, and they'd take this heavy rope net, and they would cast it out and let it settle on the, uh, 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 through the water, to, and then they would have to draw the thing up and bring it into the boat and see what was there. Now, this is not deadliest catch stuff. This is just hand throwing out, you know, the net. All night long, they were doing this. All night long and pulling up debris, rock, dirt, things that were worthless. And as the night wore on, more and more and more, they were getting tired, probably frustrated, trying to find out where are these fish, because, you know, their income was based upon the amount of fish they could bring in in the early morning and sell at the market, which meant income for the family. And so they are working hard all night long. And here is this rabbi from Nazareth saying, go launch into the deep and just drop your net down. He didn't say cast your net. He just said, let it down. It's a different Greek word, really. Just drop it down. Now for a guy who is a seasoned fisherman who is tired and hearing this, just like Peter does, he says the first thing that comes to his mind. He says, and it's the first words of Simon Peter recorded in Scripture. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, he could have said it under his breath, but I'm sure he was polite. The word for master, it means supervisor. But later on, we see him call Jesus Lord after he's broken. Sometimes people come and consider Jesus with respect as a leader, as a one that sort of knows what's going on. But when a true brokenness happens in the life of the person, deep down in their soul, all of a sudden the relationship changes and you call him Lord. You see the difference? Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. The word toil here is something that is interesting because the definition of toil is to work extremely hard, incessantly, move slowly with difficulty, exhausting physical labor. And actually, the, the origin of the Greek word for toil can be traced back to a machine that crushes olives. A machine that crushes olives. It reminds me of times when my efforts, as valiant and noble and well-intentioned as they might have been, I came up catching nothing. There have been times in our life, in our journey as a believer, where it seemed like 
we weren't sure how things were going to work out at all. My wife and I were talking about 40 years ago. 40 years ago, 1980. That was one of the worst, most challenging years in our life. It was challenging to our marriage. It was challenging financially. It was challenging even to, to believe the promises of God. That year it was like the bottom dropped out in every area. And as hard as we would try, it just seemed like we were losing ground. So when I read about Peter toiling all night and catching nothing, I immediately relate to that particular season. It was uh, actually a year and a half without any answers. Everything we did just didn't seem to get any traction at all. And we were going from grace period to grace period with the bills and trying to make ends meet and just went the last minute when things just seemed like it was going to implode, there would, there would be something happen that was un, just out of the blue and it would just barely sustain us and keep the power on in Phoenix, Arizona in summer. And I remember the statement that I said over and over and over again. God, what do you want from me? You can't get blood out of a rock. I don't understand. At least clue me in. Help me here. Nothing. I'd say your word says that you'll take care of every need. I mean, why has it happened? Am I in sin? I mean, you know, you cover the whole gamut because you want to fix it so badly and you can't. Toiling all night and catching nothing. Pulling up things that are unprofitable, dirt, debris, ungodly looking things. And you're tired. And then here's Jesus coming along and wanting to give instructions saying, hey, go out to the deep. Let down your net along the side of the boat for a catch. Simon says, Master, we've toiled all night. He didn't have to say that, but he was like, look, here's honesty. We've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. But this word, nevertheless, is huge. Because it means, although what I've just said is true, I'm going to obey your word. Nevertheless, it's a word of change. When you're at the end of yourself and you, and you list before the Lord everything that's a failure in your life, all the things that you've, you've cast out your net, so to speak, and you've pulled, pulled it in and you've got nothing. Then you're left hopeless. You're left purposeless. You don't know what's going on. Your marriage is a wreck. Your finances are in a wreck. Your health is in a wreck. And it just looks like it's all going down. And Jesus comes into those things and he says... Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And to me, what that, 
represents is believe his word more than your own reasoning or your ability to figure it out. Now, now, think about this. What had to happen for Peter to obey this? Actually, Andrew came into the boat because it talks about the plural, they. So they're in the boat. So Andrew comes into the boat with Peter. How does he launch out into the deep? He doesn't turn on the mercury motor and head out. You know, it's oars. Now the crowd is right there watching this whole thing. They're probably snickering a little bit. So it's embarrassing. Peter has to obey Jesus in front of these people. And so they're putting the oars in the water. And they're going out into deep, deep water. And the crowd is watching. You ever come to a place when you've got to obey the word of God more than the society and they're watching you? And they're snickering at what you're doing? Because they know you don't fish out there. You fish night fishing on, on the shore. That's how you get the fish. What do you think you're doing? Well, I'm obeying Jesus. And so they're rowing. It took a while to get out to the deeper water, you know. And so what were they thinking as they're rowing? As the crowd is watching. Because that's, that's the space in between these verses. I wish we had a scratch and sniff Bible. We could just do this and kind of catch the, you know, the smell of the fish and the, and the Sea of Galilee, but, you know, we're not, we're not there. So finally, they're out into the deep. The crowd is way on the shore. And so Peter and Andrew take the net they just washed they toss it overboard. I mean, there's nothing really fancy in this whole thing. It really wouldn't make a very good YouTube at this point. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. My guess is that they had never seen this kind of a haul in their whole history of fishing. And it says in verse 7, so they singled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Now, how, what are you going to do? Call them on the phone? You know, it's, you know, and so they're, they're having to whistle and wave like this and say, you know, this, because they're, they're out a ways from the shore. And so James and John see what's going on. They jump in the boat and, and they've, got a, they've got a row. And so they have the net in the boat. They're rowing. The, the whole multitude are watching from the shore. This whole thing is going on. This is great activity. We you know when you're from a boring little village and this is great. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. We can't imagine the weight of all the fish and maybe the size of the fish. From the wording of this section, it almost appears that Jesus is still in the boat, by the way. And so he's, he's the commander. He created these fish. This is an amazing thing because it, it parallels to what's going on in our life where it just seems like 
the harder we have tried, the behinder we are getting, and we don't understand how we can be sustained. My life is a failure. I failed in my marriage. I failed financially. I failed in relationships. My kids hate me. My whole life is, there's no purpose in my life. I've just pulled up the net again and again. I'm tired and I just want to cash it all in. But Jesus wants to bless your life. But you have to do things his way. Peter would never have gotten this catch if he had just gone, you know, let me try again in the shallow water. Peter had to obey the word of the Lord in order to receive the fullness of blessing. And there is a time frame from this first step of obedience to when the blessing comes. The time frame for Peter was the rowing out to the deep waters. The time frame for you might be a season of weeks or months. But the Lord wants to bless and he wants to train you to listen to his word. In Matthew chapter 11, we see that Jesus calls to the to the people and he says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light friends when we have toiled all night in our life and caught nothing. The best place we can go to is Jesus and look at what his word says to us and then obey it. Put the oars in the water and begin to take steps to follow that because the Lord wants to show you about himself. He wants to work in your life. And he does want to bless your life. The boats began to sink. Look at verse 8 now in chapter 5 of Luke. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. That's an interesting statement. He fell down at his knees? Usually it's they fell down at the feet. Could it be that Jesus was sitting in the boat? And Peter was right there in the hall of fish and the reality of all that was going on and he just dropped to his knees and Jesus was right there. It says here, Peter said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why would you want to have anything to do with me, Jesus? I'm a failure. I have doubt. I have unbelief. I haven't performed well. Why would you want to use me? You know, Moses said that same thing in the wilderness. He gave five excuses to God come appearing in the burning bush. 
He says, first of all, Moses said, who am I that you've called me? The second thing, he says, who are you? Who am I going to tell them you are? The third thing he said is, well, they're not going to believe me. What authority do I have? The fourth excuse is, I, 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 can't, I can't talk talk well. And the fifth excuse is, send somebody else. And that, that brought the rebuke of the Lord. The Lord was patient up to the, the first four. Helped him. Who am I? Hey, I'll be with you. Who are you? Tell him, I am. I'm giving you my special privilege name. I am your sufficiency. Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, then I'm going to show my powers through you so that they'll know the power of the God that they're serving. Yeah, yeah but, but, but I can't speak well. I'll be with your mouth. Send somebody else. The Lord got angry with Moses, said, you know, you have a brother. By the way, that didn't turn out so well after a while. When you read the history of there through Exodus. But God was patient and, you know, kept him along. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You ever had those times where you feel like, God, use somebody else? I'm too messed up. You don't know my history. You don't know my tendencies. When I get in the flesh, I end up in jail. Lord, why would you want to use me? Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I can't ever be like those Christians. I just want to say, Jesus understood Peter. Peter was honest with Jesus, and we need to be honest with Jesus. When we come to those places where we want to just give up and say, I can't do it, that's when Jesus comes to us in his compassion and his kindness because when you humble yourself before the Lord and get honest, he gets gracious with you. God gives grace to the humble, but he'll resist the proud. Peter had it all figured out until he was just worn out. And then he obeyed the word of Jesus and, and there was this tremendous blessing. Now, why did this tremendous blessing humble Peter so much? Because it just was a mirror to his own unbelief and, and doubt and cynicism. Verse 9 says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. James and John blowing their minds. Both the boats just a little bit above the water on the edge. And they're, and they're rowing in carefully. And the multitude is watching. They were astonished. Here are seasoned fishermen astonished. God wants to work in our heart and bring the mystery of who he is back alive. But we have to humble ourselves before him to see him because pride is a great blinder to who the Lord is and 
to see him working in our life. That self-sufficient attitude blocks the fullness of God's blessing in our life. Peter started off, he called him master. Now he's calling him Lord. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. In verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. I just want to suggest tonight that that's what he's saying to you and to me. Don't be afraid. Because you know, ten times in the gospel accounts, Jesus is recorded as saying, Do not be afraid. Sometimes we're so afraid of what might happen if we surrender our life to Jesus. We're afraid of losing friends. We're afraid of losing fun. We're afraid of turning into some fanatic. We're afraid that we'll turn into a hypocrite. Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. I want to bless your life. I want to do things in your life that you won't believe even if I told you. Don't be afraid. He's saying this to Peter. Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. You know, it took three years for Peter to catch men. In Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit came upon Peter's life, 2,000 people surrendered their lives to Jesus as Messiah. But before then, there was just arguing about who's the greatest and, you know, these highs saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then rebuking Jesus for saying he's going to the cross and Jesus calling him, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Whoa, whoa. He called me Satan. What? Uh, you know, all the, the roller coaster. But when he got baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter became a different man. But there had to be a time of preparation, a time of training. In verse 11, so they brought their boats to land. They forsook all and followed him. Do you know this catch of fish provided income for Peter's family and the family of James and John for a long time. I think that's really cool because the Lord knew the need and because Peter obeyed, then the Lord took care of the need of the family. We have to trust that when the Lord gives us direction in his word, It's worth it to take the step of obedience and obey, even though we've got such failure behind us. Obedience in the face of failure is what Peter did here, and the result was fullness of blessing and a clarity of his calling. Because, you know, this isn't the first time Jesus and Peter met. That first time is recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 1 where Jesus meets Peter and he calls him Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. 
And it's fascinating, doing a study on Peter, there, are, there were only three times that Jesus actually called him Peter. All the rest of the times he called him Simon. The first time, of course, is in John chapter 1. Simon, you shall be called Cephas, a small stone. Now, Peter's dad, Peter, son of John, Johnson. Rock Johnson was Peter's name. But Jesus only called him uh, Peter three times. The second time was right after Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what the third time was? He called him Peter. When Jesus told Peter he was going to deny him three times. Why would Jesus call him a rock when Peter was going to deny him? Because here's the thing. The name that Jesus gave Peter was going to represent the work of God in Simon. God has a name for us that represents his work in us. And it's probably different than our earthly name. But what's fascinating is when you get to the book of Revelation, you hear the words of Jesus to the churches. He says, He that overcomes, I will give to him a white stone, and on the stone a name written that no one knows except him that receives it. I think, personally, that name is going to be a representation of all that God has done in our lives while we are here on this earth. It's going to reflect something of his glory and his work in us. I don't have to know the name now, but Jesus is going to give me a special name between him and me. No one's going to know that name except him that receives it, of course, and him that gives it, Jesus. You know, those of you that are married, you have special names for each other. You know, honey, sweetie, poopsie, whatever. You don't call the people in your row that name. Although in England, you know, they call you love or lovey, which is awkward to me. The Lord is not going to give up on you because you failed. Your net might be broken, but Jesus wants to mend the net. He wants to put your life back together, but he's got to wash you first and stretch you out because that's how they did it with the nets. He's got to clean off all the debris that destroys the life. Wash it, clean it with the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the mending of the net, so very important. It was one of the fishermen's main tools. Jesus wants to take our life and heal our life by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to mend us, not by not. And then he wants to use us and cast us out and touch the lives of other people around us. Just with your journey, your story. There's nobody like you. You're a unique story. God didn't need two of you. One is enough. But he wants to use you. 
He wants to cast you out. Not cast you out, but cast you out to catch men. Where are you in this story? Are you with Peter saying, we've toiled all night and caught nothing? My life is just a failure. Jesus has a plan for you and he wants you to follow his word because he wants to bless you. He wants to bring you to a place where you see who he is for real. And that's called coming to a place of brokenness. But you've got to put your oars in the water. You've got to take the step of faith to pull out from the shore and obey the the word of the Lord and do something that just seems so ridiculous and that's to pray and ask, ask Jesus to forgive you. To take this basket of failure and turn it around. And I want to tell you from personal experience and from watching it over and over and over and over again over the last 50 years, Jesus is faithful to mend your life. But he first has to wash your life. But you've got to give your life to him. So tonight, whether you're watching online and you're considering the things that we've been saying, whether you're listening on Grace FM, if the Lord is using this portion of Scripture to stir your heart and to challenge you to obedience, to call you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, don't just say, hmm, let, let, let me think about that. Or as they say in England, let me have a think about that. I think, personally, that if your heart is being stirred, it's time to respond, to act upon it. Put the oars in the water because the fullness of blessing won't come until you get out into the deeper end. I hope that makes sense. Let's all stand, please. Remember Peter saying, nevertheless, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Truth. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. As we close in prayer tonight, if you're at a place where you need to Surrender your life to the Lord. You've got to stop seeing yourself just as the bunch of failure that you've been thinking about rolling around in your mind and you need to respond to him. So I, I just present this challenge that you would, uh, while the last worship song is being played by Micah, that you would come out from where you're standing and and just stand up here because I want to lead you in a prayer so let's get going with this in your life. There's nothing too hard for the Lord and you're not harder than his ability to heal.
but you've got to take this step. So I invite you, if this is what's going on in your life tonight, those of you that are here in the sanctuary, those of you that may be downstairs, take that time, act upon it, just for a few moments. If this is you, come and make your way up here, please. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.